Hey everybody, this is episode 18 of the Juice Box Podcast, and today's conversation is with Stephanie Mason. Stephanie is the mother of a little girl who has type 1 diabetes. Stephanie and her family frequently live overseas, outside of the United States, uh, but they also live here, and they are huge travelers, uh, mainly airline travels. And Stephanie contacted me because she just wanted to let people know that it is possible to travel with type 1 diabetes without a ton of stress, and and she wanted to share her stories about, about how her daughter was diagnosed overseas, and how their first trip went, and how subsequent trips have gone, and I just thought that was a great idea, and I'm all for anything that brings down your anxiety. So this is Stephanie's story of her her daughter's diagnosis, as well as their life, and um, how they deal with travel. I definitely think it's worth your time, and here it comes. Hello. Hello. Stephanie, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Very good. I'm sorry I'm a couple minutes late. I, uh, oh, no problem. I appreciate you letting me chat with my wife for a second. She is, uh, um, interestingly enough, based on what we're going to talk about in a second, uh, traveling overseas for for, awesome. for work. So uh, she's not the um, she's not the happiest traveler. I wouldn't say. <laughs> Um, and she does spend a, a few days before she leaves her trips bemoaning it as she walks around the house, uh, calling it, calling me lucky for not having to go or saying something like, you would enjoy this, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I told my husband that's his vacation. <laughs> oh, that, when you travel? No, when he travels, oh. that's his vacation. <laughs> because he gets to sleep all night. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. No, there's no diabetes when you, when you travel. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Stephanie, as I'm apt to do in these situations, we're already recording, and if you can hear me okay, I can hear you okay. Oh, yeah. We I'm should, fine. We should just get going, I think. All right. Um, let's do this. You are Stephanie Mason. I know that for sure. And I don't know if we're going to say your child's name or not, so I'm going to start by letting you introduce yourself and talk about you know, how you're connected with diabetes for a second. Sure, sure. So as you just mentioned, my name is Stephanie Mason. Um, I have a seven-year-old daughter named Randy, who um, is the type 1 diabetic in our household. She was diagnosed one year ago in April uh, while we were living in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Let's see what else. We've only got my husband is the only other person in our household. His name is also Randy. And um, we are a family that loves to travel, loves living overseas, and we've continued that in our lifestyle even beyond the diabetes diagnosis. Stephanie, can I ask you, you were in living in Saudi Arabia because why at the time? Uh, for my husband's work. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And how long were you there prior to the diagnosis? About three years. Okay. And for the ease of this conversation, when I say Randy... I think I'm, I I'm, I'm going to mean your, your, your child, your daughter. And um, when I refer to your husband, I'm going to say your husband. How old was Randy when she was diagnosed? I'm sorry. She was six years old. Six. Okay. Um, explain how the diagnosis there and the care there was compared to how the care is here. Um, I think the... The diagnosis came about by a friend. We were very fortunate in that we had a neighbor who had been um, a pediatric nurse in the past and who had also had an, um, 
been around another child that had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So she really um, started noticing the symptoms in Randy. I noticed them too. I just didn't correlate them to diabetes. Right, right. But she really did because she knew what all of the symptoms put together meant. And she brought it to uh, my attention. So um, she, Randy was really diagnosed by a family friend. And then we took her to um, the clinic on the base where we were living and then ultimately to the hospital in the, out in the city of Riyadh um, and spent four nights there. Did they, give you, did they give you needles? Is that how you started? We, no, we actually started with pens. They gave us pens um, right from the get-go, and they did show us how to use the pens, uh, <laughs> but that was, you know, almost the, ex- the extent of it. I see. You um, push this down. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. They basically asked me, what does Randy typically eat for breakfast? And what does she typically eat for lunch? And what does she typically eat for dinner? And then based on the information I provided them, they said, okay, for breakfast, give her three units. For lunch, give her three units. And for dinner, give her four units. Now, geez, did it make you feel like <laughs> that poor kid had to eat the same thing for the rest of her life every day? Uh, yeah, I was, you know, I was very perplexed on how that was going to work. Right. Um, given that we do not eat the same thing every day. And, and, and do you think this was a cultural confusion? Yes, definitely. Um, as we spent time there in the hospital, you know, I... My, I was staying the nights. My husband had to leave. Um, but during the nights, I would stay up and just get on the, get on the internet and um, start researching and reading blogs like yours and just doing research and of how we manage diabetes in the States. And as I became informed, I, you know, started asking the doctor questions and he soon came to realize that because we were American, we were not going to manage things the way the Saudi families typically manage things. Okay. So, um, and was he yes, flexible then or he was, um, he thought it was amazing because <laughs> it's not something that he, um, I think normally encountered. Um, so he, he was really impressed with us that we would be so on top of things and so eager to learn and, and really wanted to take control of managing her. Um, I, I know from living in Saudi for a very long time, even beyond the three years this last time I had lived there for several years prior to having my daughter. Um, I know that the culture there is the doctor is very revered and you don't question the doctor. You just do exactly what he tells you to do. Okay. So um, I could understand why the management plan was the way it was. I just knew though for my daughter's long-term health, that wasn't going to work for us. Well, first of all, obviously good for you for not just taking that advice and thinking that was the end of it. Um, And it's cool that you had the internet to go to and and to go find another great example of people using the diabetes community online to to help themselves. Um, So we're going to call your comfort with diabetes in the first two weeks of diabetes probably not great um, because of the limited direction you got. But then... Um, and this sort of brings us to why, so, so let, let me back up for a second. Stephanie contacted me and wanted to be on the podcast because she travels a lot, long plane flights and, and other kinds of travel along with her daughter. 
and she recognizes that uh, by looking around in the community that travel is something that brings up a lot of anxiety in people and she just wanted to talk about it and try to help people feel a little less nervous um so i guess though stephanie why don't we take a second and go back in time to the first time you traveled with randy um and because i'm assuming you weren't you weren't all calm cool and collected then like you are now so uh how, how did that first trip go um, yeah, the first trip was exactly two weeks after diagnosis. As soon as she was diagnosed, you know, of course, my husband realizing that education over there about the disease is not what it is in the States said to me, you have, you guys have to leave. You have to go back to the States for a little bit and get some education and, you know, just confirm the medical care and everything. So um, the doctors there, though, would not let us leave for two weeks. So we waited out the two weeks. And then uh, we, my daughter and I left by ourselves. My husband stayed behind um, for the United States. I was terrified. I mean, at that point, I had a little bit of knowledge from the Internet, and I had a one-sheet piece of paper from the hospital on how I was supposed to take care of it. And how were you going to get that same meal on the plane? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So um, I was terrified, and we had no CGM. We had no pump. We were, you know, managing blind, which is fine, but it was scary in the beginning. And we were using, you know, pens. So I packed all the supplies that I had um, at that point, and I... You know, it's one of those things. It's for the first time I recognize that I just have to be intentional. You know, I'm my fear is not going to go away probably until the trip is over. Right. And I just have to be intentional about getting on that plane, not crying in front of my daughter because I didn't want to pass my fear onto her. She was totally clueless, and um, and I wanted her to stay that way. They should <laughs> teach that in the hospital: how not to cry in front of people. Like you know, teach you how to bite the inside of your cheek or your tongue, or avoid certain phrases and words that make you sad. <laughs> yeah. So. so we flew from Riyadh to Denver, Colorado. It took. Um, 19 hours of flying time, about eight to nine hours of layover time, and three three different flights. So three flights. So you get on a plane, fly, get off a plane, mm-hmm. fly, get off a plane, fly. Yes. Okay. Um, and how did it go? <laughs> you, you know what? She lived. I lived. <laughs> she uh, lived. <laughs> I didn't sleep, but... Right. Uh, um, I checked her blood or probably a ridiculous amount of time. Um, but, you know, we made it and we were okay. Mm-hmm. And um, it, everything was was fine, you know. Yeah. It, well, and, you know, you're making me think back to the, the last flight I took with Arden before she was diagnosed. We were out in, we went to San Francisco for business with Kelly. Like we tagged onto one of Kelly's like short business trips. And then we drove to Yosemite. And took a small vacation in Yosemite because even though Yosemite is impossibly far from San Francisco by car, it was the closest we were ever going to get to it, we thought. So we thought this is our shot. And I remember planning a red eye on the way home on purpose because our kids were young, like Cole was seven and Arden was two. And we thought they'll fall asleep on the plane. Mm -hmm. And I remember we took off. I looked over. They fell asleep. I shut my eyes and I opened my eyes 
as we approached Newark on the on the East Coast. And it was the nicest feeling. Like it was just the most calm, relaxed. And I actually think back on that moment in my life sometimes, that opening my eyes on that plane, seeing the kids are still asleep, just feeling like, wow, look, our plan worked. I was arrested. You know, that that whole feeling. And I just I think back on it when I do, I realize I don't feel like that ever anymore. Not just traveling, but just in general. Like I don't wake up in the morning anymore not thinking about anything. You, you, you know, like I wake up now thinking like, you know, I wonder what Arden's blood sugar is. I wonder if I slept through an alarm on that CGM because I, I do that sometimes. And uh, it just was such a, such a, I didn't realize such a simple thing would be such a happy memory. But um, I understand, I understand totally the, the feeling of not wanting to go to sleep. So you stayed awake through layovers, 19 hours on a plane. Yes. When you returned home, what did you do? Just like put her in a closet and fall asleep outside of the closet? Or how did you handle Were you with people? Did someone pick you up? How did you? Well, then the other sad part is because because we had just been diagnosed, I was also an emotional wreck at that point. Oh, sure. And, um, you know, I was flying home to to where my mother lives, but she was out of town. (laughs) (laughs) So a family friend had to pick us up from the airport. (laughs) The unlucky friend. (laughs) Yeah, which probably was better anyway, because I think had my mother picked me up, picked us up, I would have broken down and just burst into tears and just had an emotional breakdown right there as soon as I saw her. On top of her 500 questions that you don't know the answer to. <laughs> yes. So, 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 you know, we got to avoid that by her being out of town. And our family friend drove us home um, to my mom's house. And, uh, you know, thankfully, because of jet lag, Randy needed a little rest. And I definitely needed rest. And so I set some alarms on my phone to make sure that I, you know, got up to check her blood and we went to sleep. <laughs> okay. So what did that trip, I mean, that had to be the beginning of you collecting, you know, kind of data for yourself about flying and, and travel. What did that first trip teach you? Did you take something away from it that you still carry with you now? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was my first encounter with the TSA. Um, while Randy, you know, since Randy was diagnosed, we um, entered the U.S. through uh, Washington Dulles okay. Airport, and uh, we, you know, we go through customs, we go through immigration. So it was the first time for those as well, um, and then we hit TSA, and I had because I'm a planner by nature. And a researcher. So I had, you know, gone on the TSA website before our trip and investigated, you know, how, what our rights were, responsibilities, you know, how we were going to do this with all of these supplies. Um, and so we get to the TSA and I remember I was like so anxious that while we were still in line and, you know, they come through and sort of remind you, take out your liquids, this, that, and the other, as the poor guy comes through and we land at like five o'clock in the morning. So they had just opened to begin with. Everybody's tired and exhausted. And he comes through to, you know, very simply say, take your shoes off, take your liquids out, la, la, la. And I'm like, uh, my daughter's a diabetic. We have supplies. Like I just start blurting things out. All this information. <laughs> like you got caught breaking a law and you couldn't hold it in anymore. We robbed the bank. Um. <laughs> because 
I had read on the website that you should inform them and I just couldn't I couldn't wait any longer. I felt like somebody needed to know. I don't know what I was thinking. Sure, sure. And this person <laughs> stared back at you and just walked away? Is that what happened? Or No, he <laughs> just looked at me and he said, Don't worry about it. My my staff knows how to handle that. And I'm like, Oh, that's it? Okay. (laughs) It was very anticlimactic, really, because I thought, I don't know what I thought if we were going to get lights and sirens or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, let me jump in real quick here, and I want you to finish the story, but I want to share with people. The TSA has one of the most fantastic Instagram accounts on the planet because they post pictures of the insane weapons that people try to get through um, in airports. And I know it's scary a little bit to think that someone tried to get a flare gun or something that looks like a laser sword but has like giant metal things all over it through or the hand knives or anything. But I find the account funny. So I like to look at it and wonder who the moron was that thought they could get through with three Chinese throwing stars, one of them that looked like a batarang. And, and so I, 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 so take, take the TSA's Instagram account for a spin. I think you will, if you can find a way not to be scared about what people are trying to be on plane, bring on planes, I think you could find a way to be amused by it. Um, and they do seem to be really good at stopping people from bringing things on like propane. And I don't a grenade, a replica claymore is one of their last pictures they put up. Someone tried to bring a replica mine on a plane somewhere uh, in Las Vegas, in case you're wondering. But <laughs> but it, and it's just at TSA. I really, really, you have to check it out. Uh, I'm sorry. So so the guy says his his um his crew knows what to do. And did they know what to do? Yeah, I mean, I put the stuff on the conveyor belt. Um, at that time, there were no CGMs or pumps to worry about. Mm-hmm. I just laid everything in the... I didn't even take it out of my bag. I just put it on the conveyor belt, and it went through, and they didn't ask me a single question. <laughs> and we, you know, her and I walked through the metal detector, um, and that was it. And what year was that? That was, uh, well... Roughly. Uh, last year, it just was last year. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so not a, not a. You know, it's post nine eleven still, and they oh, didn't yeah. didn't make you use the insulin or anything like that to prove that it was insulin. You know, nothing like that. Um, no. I would say that Arden has had a number of. I mean, a number. We don't travel a ton, but she's flown a few times since she's had type one, and I don't feel like we've ever had a TSA incident that was. You know, egregiously long or ridiculous or anything like that. She did one time have to get swabbed for, um, I think they do that swabbing to see if you have explosives on you. It was something about her, you know, they were basically checking her Omnipod to make sure it wasn't full of something besides insulin. Um, And that all went pretty well, honestly. She gets patted down. Usually we don't send her through the x ray. And um, she's never been put off by it, I guess. And we, but we've never had a TSA person who was you know, belligerent or, or angry, it's always been kind of pleasant and, and easy. And I know some people have had dissimilar, you know, um, experiences, but so far ours have been okay. Um, yeah, here's my thing, uh, my yeah. take on the TSA. Um, I've had belligerent or angry TSA agents, okay. but it was before diabetes. I think if you're going to have a belligerent or t- angry TSA agent, it has nothing to do with 
you having extra stuff for diabetes. You're just getting that one. person is just that way that particular day. Yeah. And you just had the you know luck of the draw in getting in that person's line. Well, it's a, it's an interesting line of work because because of the new laws and and the new you know security measures, they took on a lot of employees all at once. And I think whenever you hire that many people all at once, you're going to get a couple of clunkers and then it takes time to work through them. You, you, you know, so it sucks. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I always keep in mind when we go through the TSA line is, um, it's not their responsibility. So, you know, now we have devices. It's not their responsibility to give them back, to remember to give them back to me even. I don't put that on them. You know, I put, it, it's, we're responsible for our stuff. So I make sure we get everything back that we handed to them. They're only responsible to check them. And for me, that's where I draw the line. You know, sure, would it be helpful if, if they are more responsible, it would, but they're searching a lot of people in a very short amount of time. So I just don't put that on them. And the other thing I try to remind myself when it's tough <laughs> or when the experience is trying is that they're here because Americans died. Yeah, and, right. And they're trying you know, to be. They're tr we're trying not to repeat that scenario. Exactly, and, and, and it's funny because once you get patted down and all your things get checked over, you have gone from a potential problem to not a problem, and then they are very disinterested in you afterwards because they're looking for problems. Yeah. So you know, so they turn their back on you pretty quickly. It is difficult because you want to think of them as like customer service people or people who are trying to make you happy or something, but that really is just not the case. And it's such yeah. a it's such a horrid thing to begin with because there's always, you know, you think every time you get in that line, you see one person who can't get their shoes off or one person that can't get their shoes back on or, you know, one person that can't get their bag off, you know, something out of their bag or something like that. And, and think that's not just happening while you're there. It's happening constantly. Yes. <laughs> you know, nearly 24 hours a day. So, I mean, I think once they're like, your toothpaste isn't a bomb, I think they're pretty happy to be done with you after that, you, you, you know, so... I, I think it's a healthy way you look at it, actually, because because it is it is simple to be in a situation like that and make it personal mm -hmm. and 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 then get kind of your feathers ruffled about it and and say, oh, this is because I have an insulin pump or it's because, you know, this happened or it's because I think it's just because you're walking through that line mm -hmm. and and that's what they're there to do. So good for you. OK, so you. Uh, how many times do you think Randy's flown since she's been diagnosed? Don't oh. even get, don't count. Just guess a round number. Um, so she's been diagnosed for a year. She's flown probably about 10 times. Okay. So she's now been on a plane more than I have. Uh, so <laughs> I, I remember taking my son to uh, spring training in Florida once and he's acting kind of blase about it. And you know, as a parent, you're like, you want them to be more excited about things yes. they're doing. And I looked at him, I'm like, you know, I never flew on a plane until I was 18. And he's like, what? <laughs> Why are you telling me that? I'm like, I'd like you to look more excited <laughs> on an airplane. Um, but, but okay, so she's flown 10 times. Are these mostly, um, are they short jumps? Are they long trips? Is it a mix? Um, it's probably half and half. Half international flights and half domestic flights. Do you guys buy cars with your frequent flyer points? Like, <laughs> No, but we always fly business class. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
That's, for, that's what we do with our frequent flyer. That's your upgrade, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you're not smushed a little bit. Um, okay, so where, what, what kinds of places has she been to? Um, what kind well, of places? I don't think that's English, but where has she been? <laughs> <laughs> she, we, um, in the United States, we did a lot, we do a lot of traveling between Colorado and Florida um, and South Carolina, uh, Texas. Um, and then internationally, um, of course, because beyond her being diagnosed, we were still living in Saudi Arabia. So we flew back and forth between there at least four to five times before we moved back to the United States recently. Wow. wow. So, so would you consider yourself as close to a diabetes travel expert as they probably <laughs> come at this point? And what, what would you, I mean, what is, I mean, are there things you could tell people both kind of intellectually to plan for and, you know, in like real world, like concretely the things they should be doing that make it easier and tell them why? Um, sure. So some of the things that I always, this is my take on it. Um, I plan for a bad scenario and expect it never to happen, but I always plan for it. So, you know, um, I always have extra supplies. I, um, we travel with the Frio pack. I, um, have snacks. Um, but one thing I do not travel with, whether it's a domestic flight or an international flight, um, I do not travel with juice. And I know that, you know, a lot of diabetics, you know, we feel like under the medical necessity, we have the right to travel with juice and you're, probably right. We do have the right to travel with juice. But for me, it is just uh, uh, something that I just don't want to, I just don't want to deal with it. To me, it's very, it's just as easy to travel, especially in airports with um, sugar tablets and glucose gel. And then once I get through the TSA, I'll buy a bottle of juice. Okay. Yeah. Arden, Arden doesn't like um, glucose tablets and the gel, I mean, I, I, if you gave Arden like the the conscious decision to die or or use the gel, she she would just go. That's it. I guess my life's over because she just doesn't want that. So we when we get on a plane, we usually have like a small brick of like those tiny juice boxes with okay. us, and and it's you know whether you I will say this they're heavy, and um, it is a kind of a pain in the ass. I don't think I'm supposed to curse. So I'm gonna have to bleep that out later because I called my podcast clean in iTunes, but it's a pain in the butt to. Um, to to carry around definitely but but they are Arden's go-to you know I mean we bump blood sugars around with all kinds of different food and everything like that but in a in a in a falling blood sugar situation I guess juice boxes are our go-to and Mm -hmm. you know even though Arden doesn't like them as much Mm -hmm. like there's those moments where I'm like you know you still have time you could eat something you can see her go I'm not hungry like Mm -hmm. I'll just suck this juice down and get and be done with it. I don't think she's had maybe a handful of glucose tablets in her whole life. She's just not a fan of them. And we tried a number of different brands and a number of different flavors and she just doesn't seem to like them. Um, and, yeah. and I will say that if you show up with paperwork at TSA that says you have diabetes, those, you know, as much as you're not allowed to bring liquids on and off of planes, those juice boxes, even a case of them, they don't, and by when I say case, I mean like six or eight of them, like cellophane together. Um, together, I've never had anybody make an issue of it. 
Yeah. No, a lot of times they don't. I, and for me, it's just more about, I, I don't want to, I try not to travel with too much stuff that I can get like that I can buy. Okay. So when we're in the airport, if before we go through TSA, if we need it, there's a store there. I can buy, you can buy a juice, right. you know, and then we, it takes us a short amount of time to get through TSA. And then on the other side, I can buy more juice. I just don't like to carry stuff that I can, is readily available. And so that you bring up a really, I think like a really important like subject. I think that when people's anxiety gets the best of them, they start packing things like they're going to Mars. And when they get there, there won't be 9,000 stores where you can buy juice or or whatever it is, juice aside, whatever it is you need. And I do think that's interesting. Like you need to bring enough to get through the trip. But, you know, when you start bringing enough in case the plane crashes on a desert island, then you've overthought the situation. And, And so how much do you carry on and how much do you check? Do you split the stuff? Do I um, like diabetes supplies? Do you have them split? As I will admit, that's one of the things. That's one of my fail safes. Like I carry on enough stuff for a few days and then check the rest. No, no. I, um, and here's the reason: the re- I don't check di- most diabetes stuff because um, I am. I don't know what the temperature is going to be underneath the plane. You know, the temperature is not regulated there. So especially I'm when we go on um, international flights, I, I just don't do that because I, I can't rely on the temperatures and I don't want that to mess any of the equipment or insulin or whatever up. So I generally don't check stuff. I, you know, will split it up between if I'm traveling with my husband, then between my carry-on and his carry-on, or I'll put some... If it's just my daughter and I, which um, probably 90% of our travel is just my daughter and I, I will, you know, put some in her carry-on and some in my carry-on. But no, I, I, I'm, because of the temperature variation, I don't you tend keep it to with check you. things. Okay. And so I, I probably overbring some stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think the last time we flew somewhere, we flew for like an island vacation. And it was we had st- we stayed longer than we had ever stayed before. It was gonna, it was a ten day trip. Mm-hmm. So now here's where, if I'm guilty ever of doing something that's over and above, I do admit to bringing significantly more Omnipods and Dexcom um, sets than I could ever possibly use in ten days. And I guess it's in my head that like if you know every. And this is where my anxiety still gets the best of me. And I'm a fairly anxiety-free person. But, you know, like every, like once a year, I'll put a pod on and it just expires right away. Or, you know, something happens. You go, oh, I got to use another one. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. So in a 10-day trip, given that Arden, you know, would switch her pod like every 72 hours. I mean, if you were going to cut it right to the edge, you really wouldn't need more than four but I probably bring like 15. <laughs> so I, I do the same thing. Okay. But, so uh, the first time we flew back to Saudi, uh, at that time, Randy only had a CGM, but I wasn't going to be able to get those over there. So I had to, I brought an entire three month supply. <laughs> but what I do is, and with, now that she's on the pod, you know, we went on a well, no, we, she wasn't on the pod when we went on the cruise. Whenever we travel um, with the pods, what I do, I bring, uh, you know, an excessive amount. But I just 
take them out of the box, you know, the boxes that they come in. Mm -hmm. And I put them in ginormous uh, plastic bags, um, bigger than the gallon size. They sell them at the grocery store. And I just, you know, stuff them in there and I carry that in my (laughs) carry-on. Okay. And I, and, and if, I'm being honest about my uh, flying anxiety. Uh, my idea of splitting things up is like if the plane goes down, I can grab my carry-on, you know, because of how many people survive plane crashes. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and so uh, I don't know what I'm expecting to like float up on an island and see a polar bear on a desert island or something <laughs> like that. But um, but it's more about like the the real possibility of our luggage getting lost. And you know, right. so like you, if luggage gets lost, you have what's in the carry-on. I will admit that when we travel, um, unlike you, who you are going to, you know, foreign countries, if we are just traveling for pleasure, I do notice us making decisions to go to more U.S. controlled like properties, like especially we we went to the Virgin Islands when I'm talking about and and we did stay on the U.S. side of the Virgin (laughs) Islands. And I and, and again, like there's not FedEx on the British side of the Virgin (laughs) Islands, right? Like, I couldn't call Omnipod and be like, I need you to really FedEx me a case of pumps right now. And they wouldn't be like, sure. Where are you? Oh, I'm in the British Virgin Islands. Oh, I'm sorry. Mail doesn't go there. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. In the end, mail goes everywhere. FedEx goes everywhere. Y- yes, you know, yes. it, as long as you've got enough to get through a couple of days, there's probably nothing you couldn't accomplish. You yes. know, I, I think you probably would be, you know, I, I think you could probably just get up and leave and with some effort replenish all your supplies in a couple of days you know through a phone call if you needed to so is are you here to say because stephanie you really wanted to come on the show for this are you here to say people worry too much when they're traveling yes i'm here to say i understand why you worry it's scary you know traveling is scary even without any sort of medical things sure sure so you know i understand that i just you know it breaks my heart for people to to stop doing things that they love as a family because of diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we love to travel. And so I, um, we were not going to let diabetes change that. And it, it doesn't change the locations that we go to. We've been on a cruise since then. We've been international since then. And I mean, I'm talking like third world countries, not even like Europe international. You know? Not the Disney beach <laughs> in the Bahamas. Yeah. You're not talking about that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> And so I just want to encourage people not not to let this get in their way and not to let it get in their children's way. Because it doesn't have to. Because Absolutely. you you have diabetes wherever you are and it doesn't necessarily make it more or less difficult or cumbersome. Yeah. You know, and and I I genuinely do have to agree. Like I I spoke on a, an episode a couple ago a couple of episodes ago where Arden was playing softball and like, you know, it's, I wasn't in Ecuador, but I was in the middle of a dusty, dirty field. And she just kind of bolted across the field at me and hands me the pod. And she goes, it just fell off. Now it was ready to come off in a couple of hours anyway. And she had been in hot tubs and they were at a tournament. So the girls were staying overnight in a hotel. And so she had been swimming and playing softball for three days with this pod off. And it just, the adhesive just, disappeared it literally just fell off of her which doesn't happen frequently at all to her and she wasn't you know she wasn't even like shook by it she's just like what do you want to do and i said i'll change it and i changed her insulin pump with you know a handful of napkins and a bottle of water you know that that's basically how i cleaned her up and got her new pump on her 
we didn't go find a sterile environment or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> have to run back to the hotel or something like that. And she's fine. You, you know, everything's okay. Um, so where is the strangest place um, you've changed an insulin, uh, an Omnipod? You're making me feel like you were on a, um, a <laughs> safari in Africa and, and it got bumped off by, uh, by the bouncing Jeep and you had to do it there. But, but where have you looked up and thought, I can't believe I'm doing it here? <laughs> Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like we've done it anywhere unusual to be totally honest with you. Okay. That's good. Um, because usually like if I know we're going into, uh, something different or where there might not be the greatest facilities, I'll usually change it before we leave. Ahead of time. Sure. Ahead of time. And, um, just bite the bullet. And that has worked for us. So Mm -hmm. we haven't really, you know, I think. It's it's very lame. I think the strangest place is the IKEA bathroom. You know, like. <laughs> I still find the oddest place I ever did it was on a bench at the Franklin Institute, like in this like back hallway that no one knew about. If you're from Philly, back by the train, and 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 I was sitting there, and I and it was just I don't know. It was such a long hallway with no one in it. I, I felt like I was in a Fellini movie. You know? and I was like, this is so strange. It's just us and all this corridor here. Um, but but yeah, I mean in cars and in the oh, trunk yeah. yeah yeah you know yeah. in trunks and like you know yeah. Arda was sitting in the back of my car this weekend when we did one at a, a different softball event she clearly plays too much softball but <laughs> my, um my daughter i mean to be totally honest my daughter she'll because right now we have them um on her on the on her rear so mm-hmm. my daughter will drop her pants anywhere almost anywhere i hurry up and get it done so she can get back to whatever she was doing <laughs> oh, that's <you> great <laughs> i know we, at arden's last endo appointment um her nurse practitioner called in someone else to answer a question I had. And then the idea of her, I, 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 you know, I, I, some every once in a while under her Omnipod, like where the port is and that little kind of cut out where the cannula comes through, I feel like her skin gets kind of like suctioned up into there. Oh yeah, us too. Right. And when that happens, I feel like the absorption is not as good. Mm-hmm. And so I asked the nurse practitioner if this was something she knew about and it wasn't and then she deferred to someone else and brought this other person into a room and and the girl comes in the room and she's like are you wearing one now like is it happening now and Arden goes I don't know and she stood up and pulled her pants down (laughs) and I was like I was afterwards I said wow you put your pants down so easily and she goes she's a girl I don't care (laughs) I said okay so um yeah I, I think that's probably not that's not uh, out of the ordinary to just be be happy to just get it done anywhere you can. Yeah. Uh, that's so oh, cool. another quick little tip go about ahead. if you do go to, um, you know, like for instance, on a cruise, you can't get too much on when you're on a boat sure. in the middle of the ocean. Sure, that's um, fair enough. So that requires a little bit of extra planning. And some countries that you may go to um, might require extra planning. You know, European countries, you might be okay for most of them. But beyond, you know, beyond that, maybe in some third world places, you might want to plan extra. And part of that could be um, you can contact your pump rep. And um, oftentimes they will give you a loaner pump to take with you as a backup. As a spare. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So um, that's always available, something that you can look into. And then we also, I didn't do it 
for this purpose, but it has come in handy. We have two Dexcom, whatever, receivers. The receiver. Yeah, we have two of those. Um, I actually got two because we, I did Night Scout, so I got the second one to dedicate totally to Night Scout. My phone rings um, while I'm doing this so much. I'm so sorry. Um, and I, in, in, a, in an episode that's going to post before yours, I tried so hard to get Basil to answer the phone, but he doesn't seem up to the task at all. Um, but if you let me vamp for a second, the machine will pick it up, and then whoever is trying to sell me a solar panel will probably hang up, and that'll be the end of it. Um, so, I'm sorry. So, you you have two Dexcom receivers, and why is that helpful um, in, in travel? Just if one dies, you know, obviously you can get FedEx one depending on where you are. But it, like I said, if you're going on a cruise ship or going to a third world country, mm -hmm. it might take you a little longer to get around to it. And if you just feel, if that brings anxiety to you, if you just feel like you can't live without it anymore, then um, you always have that backup. You right, know? right. Yeah. And I, I, like Arden has the Share 2 now, mm -hmm. um, which we got upgraded to you know, when, when, the, when they put it out. So now she does have like, to your point, like I didn't even buy two, but I have a, one in a drawer now mm -hmm. and I could easily charge it up and, and bring it along as a backup. And that, and that would be a great idea. I'm sure I would do that actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but in the end, like you can always go old school, right? Like if yes. you, if you have yeah. to, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean the rest of the, the stuff, the technology is fantastic and I've spoken about it a million times and it's obviously, easier to keep, you know, blood sugars in, in range with, you know, glucose technology, monitoring technology, and it's easier to give insulin with an insulin pump, you know, on a beach than it is to do it with a, you know, with a pen maybe. But I'm sure the people who use pens would are out there right now thinking like, I don't have a problem doing that. It, yeah, we went yeah. On, the, on our cruise with pens. We right. didn't have the pump then. So, you know, um, fortunately, we, we did have the CGM, but to be honest, even if we didn't have it, we would have still went on the still cruise. Went, right. <laughs> yeah. And and so that that really is that really is the message is that, you know, you like you said before, it shouldn't stop you in any way. And and I've mentioned here before, I had an unreasonable uh, you know, aversion to going on a car ride that was more than like fifteen minutes long when Arden was first diagnosed. Now, fairness to me, she was two and couldn't articulate in any way how she felt or or anything like that. And I did I did find myself like staring at her in the rearview mirror more than I was looking at the road, like wondering, like, is she okay now? How about now? What is about now? I wonder if something just happened, like you know. But once, you know, once some time went past and I I recognized it was it was going to be okay. Um, you know, those car rides got longer and longer. And now I wouldn't think, you know, I I don't even consider it to be perfectly honest when we get into a car. You know, um, I I think the next time I'm going to think about driving as it relates to diabetes is when Arden can drive, mm -hmm. you, you know, I mean, otherwise I have the stuff with me I need and the car stops, you know, you can pull over. Um, you know, there's plenty of room on a plane. There's plenty of room on a cruise ship, you know, um, it's all, it's all good. Really. How do you make out, um, how about, how about changing temperatures? How about leaving, like you're, you're in a lot of hot weather areas. Yes. And, and how about is that something you have to be cognizant of when you leave um, a you know a, a place like you know 
I don't know, Denver and go to a hot weather setting? Is that, there's some adjustment there. Is it something you consciously think about? Yes, I do. Um, So I, we will, when we're going to a hot place, we travel with the Frio. So we'll put all of our extra insulin and extra things that can go bad into the Frio for the travel purpose. But I mean, even I think one time we traveled overseas without it and we carried everything in a plastic bag with ice. And every time we got on a different flight, we just asked for more ice. Uh, and it, it was a hot mess, but it worked. It worked, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to admit, running out the door for softball last weekend, I took the vial of insulin that we were, we were using in the house right now. I wrapped it in a paper towel so it wouldn't get too close to the ice pack. And I jammed it in the corner of a small cooler that I took with some with a with a frozen ice pack and and some bottles of water in it just to keep it you know because it's the one we're using it sits right once right. i open a once we open insulin i keep it at room temperature in our house yes. but to be yes. fair to anyone who may be listening um my wife's a bit of a stickler with the air conditioner so my house is never above 70 degrees in the summertime right. excuse me and during the winter we're about like 69 degree people. So the house is, is, is pretty, you know, right about there. And you use the insulin up so quickly. Like I just, we don't refrigerate it after we've tapped into it, I guess. Neither do we. Right, right. And so I can't go an hour from here to an event that we're going to be at all day and not have insulin and a pump with me because if something goes wonky, I don't want to have to leave. Right. But at the same time, it was 80 degrees over the weekend and I couldn't leave insulin in my car at 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, the Frio packs are nice. So for people who don't know, they're these little, um, these little travel pouches and inside of them, they have these like gel things. And when you wet them with really cold water, the gel things absorb the cold water and stay cold. Is that, um, I'm remembering that correctly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they, and they do a really good job of keeping a, a vial or two of insulin at a, at least a cooler temperature. I know we don't use them much anymore, but got our first one to go to Disney mm-hmm. when, because when we were in Disney, Arden was on just MDI and then mm-hmm. we had to carry the insulin with us everywhere. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, they work great. They're not that expensive and they do work really well. So yeah. And that, you know, there's no mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's no sloshing ice or yeah. anything like that. I'll put a link in the show notes to free. I'll see if I can find it online and I'll, and I'll put a link in so people can see it if they want. Hey guys, if you will bear with me for just one second, I'm going to throw in a shout out. I want to say hello to Carson, who is probably the probably the youngest listener of the Juice Box podcast. Carson and his mom Amy listen together. Uh, Carson has type one, and I got the sweetest note from his mom about how he asks to listen to the podcast. So, hey, Carson, man, thanks so much for listening, brother. I hope everything's going good. Maybe one day your mom will come on the podcast, and we can have you on too. Okay. Uh, let's get back to it, guys. Here comes more with Stephanie Mason. Yeah, but then otherwise, other than that, um, when we're in hot, exceptionally hot climates, mm-hmm. I'll, I usually will um, start changing her pod every two days, um, okay. which we end up having to do sometimes anyway if it stops working by the third day. But, you know, especially in the hot climates for the sake of the insulin that's in the pod, I'll change it out more frequently. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the sites, pump pump infusion sites. You know, I think in general, just because people say to you like, "Oh, the insulin pump lasts seventy two hours," everybody wants that to be. You know, it, it should last seventy two hours every time. But but you forget that when you stick something into your body, your body sees that as a foreign substance and sends white blood cells after it constantly while it's in there trying to fight this infection that it thinks this plastic tube is and sometimes the sites go sooner they they become less effective sooner and you and you do have to bail sometimes it's got nothing to do with the the technology or the insulin inside of it sometimes it does mm-hmm. and, you know and and like you said hot hot trips when you know same for us i start seeing blood sugars on the third day or late in the second day or the third day that I don't like and I'll bail on an insulin pump infusion site right away, you know. Oh yeah. 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 And so what about just what about just Randy's body and how she handles the insulin? Does it change in the in the hotter weather? Do you end up changing basal rates or things like that? Um no, I hadn't noticed it based solely on temperature. I mean, it it's obviously more based on her activity level than, so usually if we're going to hot places, she's swimming. So, you know, that's affecting it, but not the temperature just itself. It's about Um, the activity, not the, unless I don't keep her hydrated and that's the other, okay. Maybe temperature comes into play as far as hydration. Because Hydration does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because Uh as soon as you're not hydrated, your insulin really struggles to work. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then the same, like she's, she loves to snow ski and, the ironic part is she's the only one in our family that does. So my husband and I don't ski with her. <laughs> um, so, uh, and we have no problem sending her up on the mountain uh, with somebody else. Just not you? <laughs> Just not us. And, you know, we'll use, she has our CGM for that. Um and it's not a problem. Yeah, Stephanie, listen, I have never skied in my life. I am one of those people who doesn't want to have a weird demise story. Like, I don't want people to be like, what happened to Scott? You know, he skied into a tree. <laughs> you, you know, like even like my wife will make fun of me. This is in some, one of my bios somewhere online. It might be Huffington Post. It'll, it'll say that my wife says I'm afraid to clean our gutters. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to clean our gutters. I just don't want to be the guy that died falling off the roof cleaning the gutters. Because like, I know as I'm falling, I'll think, oh, my God, the guy only wanted 90 bucks to clean the gutters. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like that's what I'll think on the way down. Like $90, I'm about to hit my head on the ground. And, and so um, I agree with you about skiing. I don't know why you don't do it. I don't do it because I don't want to be going very fast and then hit something. Um, and I also don't like the cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> it just seems like a horrible mix to me. I'm sure skiers are like, no, you don't understand how great skiing is. But between the cold and the threat of crashing into something, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big no on skiing. Uh, um, but I know people love it. And so, but that's even really cool of you. Like your, your daughter's only had type one for a short time. She's not that old and you're still unafraid to take her to a mountain and hand her to a different person and go, go ahead and go skiing. Yes. That's amazing. Now you're using night scout. You said, are you still using night scout? Um, we use it for, for some occasions. Okay. We don't use it daily, but, um, for skiing, for instance, it does come in handy. Sure. (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Since we don't go up there with her. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's uh, a fantastic use of it. Um, uh, are you? Does your Dexcom share, or does your Dexcom receiver have share built in yet, or do you not have one of those? I don't have one of those, and my husband and I didn't order it mm-hmm. um, because 
what one of the main times that we use Night Scout is when we send Randy with my mom. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom doesn't have an I, any Apple products. Okay. Okay. So she can't. It, it would not be helpful. Yeah. And that's pretty much one of the, like, 95% of the time we use Night Scout, that's when. So, you know, the share just, we just decided to wait until they get the Android thing going and then we'll. Okay. So, so that's interesting to me because I wonder about that a lot because if you don't know what Night Scout is, you got to go back to another episode with my interview with John Costick. It'll tell you all about it. But it's a, it's a, it's a, a sourced um, effort by a lot of people who are not connected with Dexcom to make Dexcom available through the cloud for people who don't want to use, um, you know, Dexcom's proprietary way, which at the moment only supports Apple products, iOS products. But Night Scout supports Android. Um, Dexcom says that Android support is coming very soon. They say inside of 2015 at some time. Uh, but at the moment, there's a really amazing group of people who support you, help you get it set up. It's not as intuitive of just buying it. There's things you have to do in technology. You have to understand and set up and everything. But there's a lot of great people that will help you set it up. Nevertheless, it's it, no matter if you're using Night Scout or Dexcom CGM, excuse me, with the Apple products and the share, you're able to see blood sugars remotely. And and so when you send Randy to your mother-in-law's house, is it your mother-in-law? It's my mother. Oh, it's your mother. Okay. When you send her to your mother's house, mm-hmm. you're able to see on your Pebble watch or your Android phone or anywhere what her blood sugar is almost in exactly real time. Um, and then how does that work while she's skiing? Have you ever had to contact her while she was skiing and say your blood sugar is low? Do you keep blood sugars a little high during activity like that? Or what do you do? Um, I, I don't like to keep blood sugars a little high um, at all. I don't either, by the way. If I can avoid it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I might start her out a little high. And by that, I mean like 150. Right. You know, Um, because I know from experience, what skiing is going to do to her. And um, I do send her with some candy or whatever she wants in her, one of her pockets. You know, thankfully, the clothing that you have to wear for skiing is full of pockets. So I send it in, I send some in one pocket, I drop the Night Scout in another pocket, um, and I send her on her way. And occasionally I've had to text whoever she was with and say, hey, you know, uh, can you just have Randy eat a piece of candy? It's in her pocket and she will. And then they'll keep on skiing. So you're, you're really making the point that I tried to make, um, a couple of times I've tried to make this point, but a lot of times, I mean, once you have, I'm not saying on day one, obviously, like you would not have been this person, you know, two weeks into the diagnosis or something like that. But once you've got your footing, um, a, a really large part of success with diabetes, in my opinion, is expectations that you put on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you expect that you are going to keep a blood sugar in a certain range, I know this sounds ridiculous because if you if you're not to that point yet, you hear me say that and you think you're an idiot. You have no idea what you're saying. Are you saying I can just wake up in the morning and expect for my blood sugar to be ninety and it'll be there? That's not what I mean. It's a long process of of you know setting a, a goal and figuring out how to attain it most times and then squeezing that goal down. You know, maybe you start with going like, I don't want to be over 180 and I don't want to be under a hundred. 
And then once you've accomplished that, say to yourself, well, I've ne- what about now? I don't want to be over 160 or under 90. You, you, you know what I mean? And just keep, and then once you find the rhythm with that, you keep squeezing it. And it, it's, it's a theory that you have to wrap your brain around. But if you set that expectation, most times you can stay in it as you know, and, and I think I like what you're saying. Like I, you don't like to be high. I, I genuinely don't like to be either. And there have been times in the past when Arden was younger, where I would accept a higher blood sugar because it felt like a safety issue to me. But now, you know, with time and, and comfort come, you know, I don't, I didn't want to do it then, but I felt like I had to. Now I realize I don't have to. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and so now I've, I've come to expect a, a different blood sugar and, and that's working out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stephanie's done, Stephanie, you've done, you've accomplished a lot in a year of diagnosis, really. You went from MDI to insulin pump. You got Dexcom right away. Uh, was any of that, you know, we're kind of coming up on the end of your hour here, but it was any of that difficult or did you have doctors who were, uh, easy, you know, helping you get along to technology and things like that? Oh no! None of the none of the technology came from the suggestion of doctors. To be totally honest, gotcha. Um, it all was initiated by us based on people like yourself discussing it online. Um, so when I first came back to the U.S. and within three weeks of going to an endo here and getting educated, I said to them, "I want her on." a CGM and I want the Dexcom one. And, you know, I got pushback from the endo because that's not what they wanted us to do. They wanted us to go, you know, get a pump that has a CGM associated with it. I said, uh, no, I can pretty much guarantee you that's not the pump that we're going to ask for. Um, So let's not even start there. Besides that, from my research, Dexcom seems to have the better CGM. So we want the best. And um, that's pretty much how it came about, but it it was mostly influenced by you know your blog and like two other blogs that I had been reading throughout the experience. Which other blogs were you reading? Um, Princess and the Pump, and uh, oh, D Mom. Oh yeah, Leanne. Okay. Yes. yes. Very nice. Yeah, I I I think that. Um, I oh, Arden's texting me. I try. I'm trying to bump her blood sugar a little bit. I just got a, a um, I just got an indication that her blood sugar went over 160. She's about an hour and a half past lunch, so I just wanted to bump it with this tiny little, um, this tiny little bolus. And I texted her like four times, like "Hey, hello, hello," and she didn't answer. I just got four big letters "what" back, <laughs> and I said, "I've said now 0.35," and she says "K," and now it's over. But the "what" looks angry. I have to be honest with you. You're you're bugging. Why are you bothering me now? (laughs) We just spoke about this an hour and a half ago. Um, But okay. Well, so I think it's important that about what you just said, like forget my blog, but, but that there are people sharing their experiences in the world and it's helping, it's helping people like you, like newly diagnosed people to say, look, I don't think I like how this is going. And Instead of feeling uneasy about that or unsure, you can go out into the world on the internet and see like this isn't how it has to be. Mm-hmm. And so that gives you, I am assuming that gave you the confidence to go back to the doctor and be like, you know what? I don't honestly care what you think. Here's what we're shooting for. And I need you to get behind me on this. Or I imagine you would have just found a different doctor. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, you just you just have to understand the doctor's he's he's just going with his comfort level and you may be selecting something that is out of their comfort level. And that's the only reason why they're, you know, trying to talk you out of it. Right. They don't Um, want you to use something that they don't feel like they can explain to you. Exactly. It's either that or that company has really pretty sales reps. It's probably one or the other. (laughs) This is is true. There's this great girl that comes in every three weeks. She brings pens and I just don't want to let her down. (laughs) So um, I used to be in the pharmaceutical industry and we call the reps the the Kens and Barbies. Well, you definitely wouldn't want to send me to talk somebody into uh, into into carrying your insulin pump because I I don't think I could uh, I don't think I could wow anybody with my appearance. But um, so okay, listen, you you talked about a lot of, of really important things based around travel. I hope people see that even this close to diagnosis, you're flying, you know, transcontinentally. You're going, you're 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 crossing oceans. You're you're doing, you know, three layovers in a 19-hour flight and more, and you're doing it very bravely and and without fear. And I think in the end, that's the message I wanted to get across was that you really don't need to put diabetes and fear don't need to go together. And, yeah. uh, and you are just a living example of that, especially in the travel world. And, and that's why I was really happy that you contacted me. So thank you so much for reaching out. Um, did you have a good time? Are you glad you did it? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. Oh, I good, loved it. Good. Oh, there's nothing like talking about diabetes. It's so exciting <laughs> and happy and, and um, you know, what a great way to spend an hour. But, no, but seriously, there is no better way than, to you know, talking about type 1 with other people who understand it really is unparalleled as far as um, the comfort and it, that it brings to the people who are talking about it. And it's not something you can't always find people to talk to about this. That's one of the real reasons I started the podcast. Yeah, I cannot go across the street to my neighbor and be like, oh my God, I was up till four o'clock last night. And he'd be like, why don't you go to sleep? You know, like it's not, he said, you should try not drinking coffee, which I don't even do. But, um, but yeah, there's, it's hard to find people who understand. So um, that is so true. My husband made that comment that you just said to one of his, uh, somebody he knows and um they said you know he said well my daughter has type one and he the person said oh she would sleep in my bed for the rest of her life (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that would be terrible i know yeah 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 Yeah, that's really not an option (laughs) yeah right and isn't it funny though that is your initial like that it's a good example of what initial fear feels like that's even a person who didn't have it happen to them like they just tried to imagine what it would be like and the first thing they said was oh my god now i would put this kid right next to me, but you don't, you definitely don't need to do that. And, yeah. and you know, technology helps a little bit, but you still, before the technology, we didn't do that either. I just didn't sleep as much. And I walked into a wall every once in a while, um, you know, before I developed my, my uncanny night vision, um, and my ability to use the battery light on my smoke detectors to negotiate a hallway, which I was so thrilled with myself the day I realized that if I just turned when I got to the red light on the ceiling, I wouldn't hit the wall. <laughs> and I wonder too how it took me so long to figure that out. <laughs> so, um, um, Stephanie, you were really fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, do you have anything that you want to close with or, or do you feel like you got it out? No, I feel like I got it out. Nice. Good for you. Um, Excellent. I really appreciate you being here, and thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Um, and uh, this will be up in a couple of weeks. I'm actually getting some shows in the can, as they say. Good uh, for you. Yeah, I'm a little ahead, yeah. and um, and I'm gonna try to keep on that pace because it actually feels good not to be like scampering for what I'm gonna do next week. So, uh, thank you very much, Stephanie, and I will uh, I will talk to you soon. All right, thank you, Scott. Bye bye. Bye.